So people of God in Christ, when is the last time you thought about your faith? Uh, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have faith, even a saving faith. But how often do you think about it? Uh, faith is uh, kind of like uh, the heart that beats within your chest. It's always there. Uh, the human heart is, is an organ and a muscle. It's always working. It's constantly beating so that you don't have to think about it. It's one of the wonders of how God made us, that there's so much of us that happens, that acts, even though we don't think about it. And in a similar kind of way, our, our faith, in one respect, just beats in one sense, uh, as we are born again, the, the Spirit of Christ takes over in our hearts. Uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 26, even says, And I will give you a new heart, uh, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So our faith beats within us day by day, moment by moment, even though we're not thinking about it. And yet it's good to stop and think about it on some regular basis. And as we return to our Genesis series this morning, after our break for Psalm 11, uh, this morning the the full chapter of God's Word is before us, uh, and it prompts us to stop and think about the beating of our faith, we might say. Uh, Genesis 32 teaches us both what faith isn't, and what faith is. Uh, the order here is deliberate, uh, following the story, first showing us what faith isn't, and secondly, what faith is. The, the first two points of this sermon will address what faith isn't, the second two, what faith is. Uh, and so once again, in this story, Jacob becomes a, a model of faith, but mostly in the negative uh, there is a sense in which Jacob, uh, in the history of redemption, uh, is, is more of a negative example than a positive one. In other words, uh, we learn uh, from him what faith isn't. Uh, we learn first uh, about what not to do if we are exercising true faith uh, by looking at Jacob and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and therefore what faith uh, is. And we might stop and ask, why, why are the... Why are the Sunday school stories that we tell our children uh, more often told in the sense of be like Noah or be like uh, Abraham, be like David, be like Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, there is certainly a place uh, for the positive example, the example for us to follow, but there is also the place for learning by negative example. Uh, here's what not to do. Here's the weakness of faith to be avoided. And surely it's a matter of pride within us uh, that we always look for and focus on the positive example rather than submitting and subjecting ourselves to the negative example. So the first point coming from the story told in Genesis 32 is this, uh, a weak faith, Jacob's two camps. And just a bit of review might be helpful here, uh, given the time in between. Uh, let's recall that Jacob uh, conspired with his mother and uh, tricked his father into giving him the blessing rather than, uh, than to Esau, his twin brother, who was 
firstborn. Uh, let's recall that this uh, conspiracy was unnecessary because God had already uh, told Rebekah that uh, uh, Rebecca, his mother, that Jacob was God's elect. Uh, let's recall that uh, Esau was so angered by what uh, his brother did that he planned to kill his brother Jacob uh, so that Rebekah, hearing of the plan, arranged for Jacob to uh, leave town. And, uh, and yet, by God's design, we saw the sovereignty of God in this. Uh, Jacob's leaving town was part of God's plan, uh, even running parallel to how his father and mother got together, uh, so that he went to Paddan Aram, uh, there to find a wife. And so now, after uh, much history and, and many events, uh, Jacob is returning to the promised land. And what will he find? That's his question. Will, will his brother have softened so to welcome him home? Or will his brother Esau still be angry and, uh, and be ready to go to war against his uh, conspiring brother? So it is that we see Jacob's two camps. In Genesis uh, 32, verse 1, it records, Then Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, uh, if wherever you went, there God's angels would meet you uh, with protection and, and the confirmation of God's covenant promises to you. Well, this is true for you. You may not see the angels, but uh, they are there. Um, wherever you go, um, God's presence, uh, whether uh, by angels or otherwise, God is, is always present with you. But what was Jacob's reaction? He said, this is God's camp. So that he called the name of the place Mahanaim, which means two camps. So that he called that place by that name, two camps, and, and were provided with no explanation for why Jacob, having met along the way with the angels of God, aren't giving any details as to that meeting, just that it happened. No explanation for why he made two camps, one camp for the foreground or in the foreground, closest to the approach of his brother Esau, uh, his brother who might still be angry with him and ready to attack him upon his return. And he made a second camp back from the first camp, which would be uh, the second to absorb an attack from his brother and would have the better chance of surviving. The question is, what kind of faith is that? Um, and the problems are several. First, it's the problem of polygamy, uh, because Jacob is now returning with two wives, uh, one that he loves, another that he has merely acquired. Uh, we've made the point before that polygamy in the, in the New Testament is clearly prohibited by God. Uh, in the Old Testament, polygamy... Polygamy is not prohibited, but neither is it commanded, uh, and neither is it condoned. We see polygamy occur under the Old Covenant, but uh, almost never in a positive light. And here's a, a prime example, because 
Much to Jacob's discredit, he puts the wife he does not love and the, and the children she has borne him in the first camp, the camp soonest to receive the wrath of his approaching brother, and he puts his second wife, the one whom he loves, in a more protected camp with a greater chance of surviving the potential onslaught of his brother Esau. So another question is, what kind of husband is this? Um, and the answer, I think, is, 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 here is here is a husband who is very weak in his faith, at least at this moment. The problem is, is that Jacob has a wife he doesn't care that much about, which doesn't fit, you see, the model of God being a husband to his people. Nor uh, does it fit with Christ being the bridegroom of his bride, the church. And we must understand that, that that's the point of marriage. Marriage between one man and one woman. That this, this human relationship called marriage is supposed to model the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And yet here is Jacob with two wives, which is the beginning of the problem. And then he puts the wife he doesn't love in harm's way, and he puts the wife he does love in the better position to survive the attack of his brother Esau. To make the scene even worse for Jacob, we need to remember God's covenant promises to him. We need to remember that, that, that these promises began with, with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. God had told Abraham from the very beginning in Genesis 12, I will bless you. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And the promise of blessing, which, which included God's promise of protection from anyone who would seek to harm Abraham, that promise was then passed on to, a, to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob, so that Jacob heard the same promise from God when he saw the, the ladder coming down from heaven. And, and when he heard God say to him, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I had promised to you. You might remember that upon that promise of God, given to Jacob. Even then, Jacob's faith wasn't so very grand. Uh, Jacob's response was to conduct a, a, a solemn ceremony. Oh, he was, he was very spiritual, let me tell you. He, he said, oh, how awesome is this place. This is none other, other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so he set up the stone that he used as a pillow that night when he had the dream and the vision. He, he set up the stone, whatever that means, uh, we aren't told, but, but he set up the stone for a pillar, poured oil on it, and he said, if God will be with me and will, uh, and will keep uh, in this way, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then God shall be my God. We might only imagine what 
what God thought of Jacob's bold spirituality. If, if di- di- didn't God just promise that he would? Was, was there some condition that God put on Jacob? Did God say, if, if Jacob does such and such or doesn't do this and that, well, then he will bless Jacob. No. And yet Jacob, in, in his weak faith, got all spiritual and, and, and set, up this, set up his pillar, his pillow as a pillar. And he poured oil on it. And maybe that's you know, what makes it really spiritual. But the only if in the whole story is Jacob's if. If God does what he has promised, then he will be my God. And the thing to see is, is that Jacob's weak faith, weak faith continues even now. We've, we've seen it between then and now, and, and now here it is again. And we might give him some credit. We need to uh, give him some credit that he, that he, he didn't ask for two wives. Uh, he was deceived into taking Leah as his wife. But you see, why be afraid? The prophecy made about him had come true. He had, he had received his father's blessing. He had received the promises of God directly from God in a vision. He, he, had, he had seen the blessing of God flow to him during his time with Laban. He had been blessed with, with all these sons, all of whom he was bringing with him as he returned to the promised land. And yet he is afraid. Even worse, he puts Leah and her children on the front lines of the battle that he fears is coming. Why not one camp? He starts out that way. This is the camp of God. But then he forms two camps. The situation would seem to be accentuated by the fact that these angels met him as he was returning, and yet he called that place where the angels met him, he called it Mahanaim because he made two camps. One for the wife he didn't care for, and one for the wife he loved. Well, brothers and sisters, isn't it, isn't it great that, that our Savior, Jesus, has only one wife? And here is the problem with, with theological dispensationalism, which seems to say that God has two wives, or at least a wife and a, and a girlfriend. His wife, the Jewish nation, has left him, so he's... He's with his girlfriend right now until later when he finally gets his wife back. But there is only one people of God, one election from all eternity, one Savior, one bridegroom of the one church. And this we learn by negative example from the life of Jacob. He he loves one of his wives, doesn't care all that much for the other one, although he's willing to take his privileges with her and and gain children by her. This is not the picture of God and His people. This is not the image of Christ and His church. And what we can take from it in the negative is that it's not that way with our Savior and with His love for us. And what we need is is a faith to match the reality of Christ's faithfulness to us. Let us not have a weak faith, but a strong one. Not not strong in our own strength, but strong by way 
of the sure and firm promises of God. And the reason we need a strong faith, not a weak one, is because a weak faith will only be a fruitless one. The second point is a fruitless faith, Jacob's politics. Remember, here is Jacob returning to the promised land under the the same promises of God that he had when he left, the same promises that were pronounced upon him by God himself, the same promises that were fulfilled during his time away, promises, 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 and yet Jacob only seems intent on playing politics. Not only does he divide his camp, but he sends a bribe, so to speak, ahead of him, hoping to allay his brother's wrath. The weakness of Jacob's faith is accentuated by the record of angels meeting Jacob, and yet he formed two camps. And now the fruitlessness of Jacob's faith is accentuated in the fact that he thinks to buy off his brother. It comes in the next chapter, but what we hear is that Esau refused the gift, or at least tried to, because it was like giving a a millionaire a a $25 gift card. Esau would not receive the covenant blessings of God, and yet, while Jacob was decidedly out of the country, God had blessed Esau. And it's an early picture, as we get so often in the Old Testament, it's an early picture of Pentecost, when the covenant blessings of God would flow beyond the the Jewish nation so that God's people would be drawn from every nation on the face of the earth. So let's use this point to uh, catch up on, on application. How often do we find that our own faith is weak? We, we have a weak faith whenever we are afraid. Time and again in Scripture, we, we hear the call of God's Word not to be afraid. We, we are told, even of Cain, uh, after he killed his brother, that God put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Uh, we hear the promise of God to Abraham, and, and, uh, and, and, and we heard it uh, earlier, I will bless you. Uh, we hear the same promise repeated to Isaac, to Jacob, to Jacob's sons. We, we see the promises of God in, in the Psalms, like Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. We have our Lord Jesus saying over and over again, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? We have the apostles writing to us saying, we are more than conquerors through him, loved us. So why are we afraid? The only reason is that we are afraid to lose what we will lose anyway in the end by our death. We are afraid because we seem to want far less than God has already given us. We are afraid of suffering and death. Granted, nobody wants to suffer and, and die, But the promise of God in Christ is that suffering only increases our glory and death only serves the very purpose of God to bring us to be with Christ. And this is why Paul says, 
If God is for us, who can be against us? This is why Paul writes, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And it's all because Jesus said, and he he proved it by his own resurrection, Jesus said, whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. So long as we cling to this life, so long as we live to gain only that which we will lose in the end anyhow, we will, we will be afraid, terribly afraid in this life. But if we would lose our life, then we will gain it. If we would store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, then what is there to fear? I know it's, it's easier said than done. But think about it. Think about the weakness of Jacob's faith. And then think about the fruitlessness of his faith. Because the two go hand in hand. The point uh, in speaking of the fruitlessness of faith is not to say that God is losing anything. The point is the fruit that we lose. Jacob thought he had to play politics to to bribe his brother when, when all the time God was on his side. All the while... Did he not have the the promise of God for blessing and for protection? And so it's the same as the thing with the sticks. What in the world are you doing, Jacob, thinking that you need to concoct some scheme? Uh, Was it a misunderstanding of genetics? Was it some superstition? We don't know what Jacob was thinking with the striped uh, sticks. What we do know is that it was unnecessary for gaining the blessing of God. And so it is here that the the politics of Jacob are are unnecessary. He was returning to the land that God had promised to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac and now to him. But the promise of God is one thing. Jacob's faith is another. And so it is with us. Do you believe? Do you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Then what more do you have to gain? And what do you really have to lose in this life? Do you really believe that Christ has earned heaven for you? Then then what's your problem? You have no problems. But until you realize that you really have no problems... Well, you have all kinds of problems. But all your problems are only the result of your weak and fruitless faith. So we come to the third point, a a victorious faith, Jacob's wrestling. Uh, Verse 22 records the same night he arose and and took his two wives, his uh, two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And then we hear that uh, Jacob sent them on ahead so that he was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. As the story continues, it becomes clear that Jacob wrestled with an angel. And even yet that Jacob prevailed over the angel. In fact, the story makes it clear that, that by wrestling with an angel, Jacob was even wrestling with God. And the point is to show Jacob and to show us that unbelief is the matter of wrestling with God. 
And that God allows himself, in a sense, even to be conquered by the unbelief of his people. This is what salvation is. By the grace of God, salvation comes as, as God, so to speak, it's an, uh, an anthropomorphism, as we say. But this is, uh, uh, this is what salvation is, um, that, uh, uh, that God gives up and decides to be gracious. The closest metaphor or analogy might be uh, when a child conquers his parent. Uh, the, child says time for, or the, the parent says, time for bed. Why? asks the child. Well, because you need rest, says the parent. Why? asks the child. Because your body needs it. Why? asks the child. And the point comes when the parent simply takes the child in his arms, carries him to bed, gets a book to read, and reads to him while the child wilts into slumber. Resistance, unbelief, um, Uh, questions, even rebellion, are caught up in the heart of the child. But the child is a child, and he will eventually succumb to sleep and to slumber for the night. And that's the picture, if you will, of, of Jacob wrestling with the angel, wrestling with God himself, we are told, and wrestling by way of his unbelief. And Jacob prevails His unbelief prevails, so to speak, and that really is the story of the Old Testament as a whole. God promises grace in His his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and yet His people labor. They work hard at unbelief. All they really need to do is believe and to display their faith by their obedience. But like Jacob, throughout the Throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, we see Israel struggling with God by their unbelief until God says, okay, let me go, for the day has broken. I will not struggle with you anymore by my law. I will be gracious to you like I promised from the start. Only the angel touches Jacob's hip and and injures him. And by this we see that the angel is not really struggling to win. At any point, the angel could have done this, touched Jacob's hip and disabled him. But the angel struggled with Jacob all night, basically allowing himself to be beat, only to display his dominance by merely touching Jacob's hip. I would ask you, what touch of pain and suffering has God, has God given you in your life? Uh, the, point is, the point is certainly to, to make you suffer. That, that, that's a hard teaching of God's Word, but, but a clear teaching of God's Word that, that God is sovereign in our suffering. He doesn't find us in our suffering He doesn't discover that we're suffering and then turn it to our good. God sends suffering. God orchestrates pain in our lives. But He does so to prove our unbelief and to display His grace. That's what happened when Jacob wrestled 
with God at the place called Peniel, just across the ford of the Jabbok. Just like God gave Abraham, you remember, God gave Abraham that elaborate ceremony to display his grace and reissue his promises in light of Abraham's unbelief. So here God sends an angel to wrestle with Jacob, even to be overcome by Jacob, and yet to prove, to prove that he is willing to be overcome, that by being overcome, he might display his grace and prove to Jacob that he can be trusted and that Jacob need not be afraid. So we finish with Jacob's new name. But if we follow the story and understand the text, we we must see that it's an infamous name. In other words, it's not a complimentary name. We're so used to hearing the, the name Israel that we we uh, perhaps don't think about what it means, but the meaning of Israel is he strives with God. But how did Jacob strive with God? Here's where we need to see that, that we can't take it easy on, on Jacob. We can't make excuses for him. We, we can't assume that, well, God's word wouldn't tell us bad things about Jacob. Somehow, everything he did must be good things. No, the point is to see Jacob in all his infamy. The point is to see Jacob being stingy with his brother, to see him boldly lying to his father, to see him receiving a grand vision from God and yet saying, if if it comes true, God will be my God. The point is to see Jacob needlessly struggling with his father-in-law Laban The point is to see Jacob putting his wife at risk. The point is to see Jacob wrestling with God in his unbelief and prevailing so that God's grace is made clear to Jacob and to all the people of God. So the point is for us to see that our unbelief is no match for God If you are still in unbelief, and of course that includes all of us to one degree or another, as we continue in unbelief, we we are only wrestling so needlessly with God. What What are we really doing but wrestling with God? The truth is right in front of our eyes. Creation proves there is a God. Death is coming for all of us. The Bible proclaims a message of salvation by the forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. So what is the problem? The problem is our ridiculous unbelief. We are wrestling with God by our unbelief. And if we win, then we lose. But God still wins. And may God touch you and show you that you are fighting against His grace, resisting His promises. And indeed, may each of us see that by our unbelief, we are, we are missing. We're not robbing God of, of anything that He uh, would not otherwise have. Uh, 
But by our unbelief, we are missing the blessing that is ours by our faith in Jesus Christ. It's a lesson largely in the negative. And so let us take heed of Jacob's weak faith and let us not be those who are filled with unbelief, but those who are filled with faith and who experience the full blessing of God by His promises to us in Christ. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Grant us, O Lord, to see that by our unbelief we are only wrestling so so needlessly with you. And we do pray that you would prevail over our unbelief, that you would give us uh, such a faith that would uh, deliver to us a, a grand comfort that we would not be afraid to live uh, fully in this world and to seek to do uh, the things that Christ would call us to do. Help us to be bold and courageous. Help us to... Uh, put aside unbelief and to take up faith uh, even day by day as we live for our Savior, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.